Well, amen. You know, the greatest joy that I've had in my life was when I really, really, really sold out for the Lord. And, uh, and I mean that. I, I, remember, I remember right after Jeannie and I first met, and I really got serious with, with the Lord. And um, we were walking on the driveway up my grandmother's farm. And, and I told her it honestly felt like we were in some kind of a big bubble and we could just, just drift right on off into the heavens, you know. I, it was just the most awesome feeling, you know, to really, really commit my life to Christ. <clears throat> but throughout my life, and I'm sure throughout your life, there have been times that I've been faced with um, the opportunity to fit in and be accepted by the world. And um, I had a choice to make. Am I going to live for Christ in this situation or am I going to compromise my faith to be a part of the group? Anybody know what I'm talking about? And ashamed to say, I think all of us would have to admit that we often violate our conscience just so that we can be accepted by other people. You know, how many times have you gone along with the crowd just so that you could fit in, you know, so that you could be a part and be accepted? Because you didn't want to be left out of the group. People want to fit in. I mean, it's our human nature. And, and I talked about this last week just briefly. And it's one reason I'm following up on this, there's been some things that's just been popping up here and there. Um, something came up in John uh, Lazarus' sermon last week that I had mentioned a couple of weeks before. And some different things that sort of I'm trying to pull those all together. Um, but last week I mentioned the fact that we all want to be accepted. It's just human nature. That's why you get up and comb your hair and you dress. I found out I'm dressed preppy today. I didn't know that. I just, I try to dress all different kind of ways because I try to minister to all different kinds of people at all different levels, you know. Some Sunday I'll wear a suit and tie, you know. Some people like to see a pastor in a suit and tie. And then I'll wear blue jeans and cowboy boots and some Sundays I'll dress preppy. I didn't know I was preppy. Somebody said, take the sweater off and tie it around your neck and you'll be really preppy. And one brother said, no, brother, don't. I'm like, I'm with you on that one, brother. But we do. Whatever group we're in, we want to try to fit in and look uh, like the rest of them, act like the rest of them, and sometimes talk and behave like the rest of them. And this is really true, especially with our younger generation. You know, and, and, and I have to say this morning that if you are a young person today living for Jesus, you have my respect. Because church, this generation is facing 10 times, maybe even more than that, more challenges and, and temptations than my generation ever thought about facing. You know, and I don't even know what age that would be. 35, my, well, if you're, thir I'm not about getting ready to mess up and tell somebody's age, and that probably isn't a good plan. But <clears throat> if you're 35 years of age and under, and you're living for Jesus, brother, I have the highest level of respect for you because it's really tough in this generation. I mean, because fitting in and belonging is like everything to this generation. Social media, I mean, like that's just the world that they live in. And not just young people, many adults today. I mean, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, it's, you're constantly out there projecting this image, sometimes not truthfully. Come on. Why? 
so I can fit in, so I will be accepted. And not only do you have to use these things to fit in, you got to be good at it. Brother, you got to be witty and catchy and cool and all that. You got to know all the lingo and everything, or you're kind of like odd or a nerd or something, and you don't fit in. You know, you got to really be savvy. And, and then there's the clothes, you know. You got to have certain type of clothes if you're going to fit into the group, and you have to go to the certain stores to buy those clothes. That was even back in my generation. Brother, if you didn't shop at Belks, anybody, do they still have Belks around? If you didn't buy your clothes at Belks, you were like some of those people, you know. And I, I didn't run in that crowd, by the way. <laughs> I don't even know where I shopped at. Mama made my clothes or something. I don't know where she got them. I just, I was very comfortable with myself, you know. <laughs> I wore whatever. But nowadays, brother, you got to have the clothes. I mean, the sneakers. Really? <laughs> I mean, you got to have certain sneakers, and they got to cost so much, or you're just not like in, you know. Your family has to have wealth, the type of house you live in or the type of car that they drive, where they went to school, where they went to college, where they got their education, which side of the tracks do you come from? All of those things matter in the world that we live in. They matter to people. Some of those things matter to you. And, and you work towards building that kind of an image so you will fit in. And, and it's so bad today that you can be bullied. Some children have been bullied to the point that they've taken their life because they weren't being beat up. They just weren't accepted. Somebody laughed at them or made fun of them or talked about them. That's not just this generation. People have been talking about people from ever because I can remember in school. I can actually remember that far back, you know. <laughs> She's talking about me, and I'm like, I remember it back then. I'm like, so what? You know, they're talking about you. But it's a big thing to be left out and to be laughed at and to not be accepted. It's the end of the world to some people, you know. <clears throat> Many people today. Friends are their worlds, the most important thing in the world to them, to the point that they sell their soul to be accepted by their friends. And so I wanted to talk about this morning. Uh, what I would like you to understand, especially our younger generation, I'm not just preaching to you, but to everybody. Right now, I'm going to help you with this. Fitting in on social media, in school, everywhere else. Why do you care so much what those people think about you? How many of you are out of high school today? Raise your hand. All right. And you, when you were in school, friends were really important to you. But how many of those friends do you even know? Those all so important friends that was so important to impress, do you even see or know or hear from today? But it was so important to impress them, and now you see some of them and you say, I can't believe that I even cared what they thought about me. It's a part of growing up. So I can help you while you're in school. Go ahead and get that clicked in your mind. It really doesn't matter what they think about you. 
Because a few years from now, they're not going, I mean, it's not that they're not going to matter, but you're not going to see them. It's not going to be so all important that you impress them to the point that you go along with them. But we still get stressed out even as adults. When we make new friends or acquaintances, we want to fit in. We want to be accepted. And so a lot of times we will compromise our convictions just to be accepted by them. And so the question we need to ask ourselves this morning is, do I need people more than I need God? Because our spirit and our faith and our belief says, I need God more than anything. But sometimes our actions say, I need people more than I need God. That's why we compromise and that's why we sell out sometimes just to be accepted. How strong are your convictions this morning? And these are the thoughts that I want us to be focusing on this morning as I bring the word. We need to stand strong in our faith. Now, that's easy for us to do while we're here at church and we're supporting each other. And it's good to have that support base. You know, the Bible says that we need to encourage each other. And so much more as we see that day approaching. That's why Jesus said, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. Because when we come together, we strengthen each other and we support each other. And it helps us to stay strong in our faith. But there's going to be times that you're going to be all alone. And it's in those moments that you have to make a stand for Jesus and stand strong. And that's when you're going to find out really how strong your convictions are. Is when you have to stand alone. <clears throat> Do you have what it takes to stand alone when everyone else is going against you? That's a question that I just wrote down for myself and for you as well. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, it tells us this. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Because you cannot stand in your strength alone. The more I grow in God, the more I realize just how weak I really am. How much more I need God to strengthen me so that I stand strong in every situation. I mean, something as simple as mentioning the name of Jesus in public. When you're by yourself, I drove, I rode up to Dairy Queen yesterday, all right? Got me a five-buck meal, chicken nuggets, french fries, a soda, and you get ice cream with it. Best deal in town, brother. I'm going to tell you, $5.37, get a whole meal with ice cream, all right? And I'm sitting there, and I wore my patch. I rode my bike, I wore my patch. It says, Honor bound, great big letters, disciples of Jesus Christ on the bottom of it. I love it because it, that is totally not me. I'm the guy that didn't want to really stand out. I didn't want people to notice me. Unlike Jeannie, now Jeannie would go in there and she'd say, has anybody in here seen Jesus? <laughs> she doesn't care, you know, but me, I'm kind of, I'm concerned about how people are going to see me. I don't want to look like the odd nut out here, you know. And so to wear something like that, witness wear. You know, I, I'm being honest with you. I was a kid in school that wanted to be cool, you know. And at least Christians witnessing school, I never did that. 
My wife carried her Bible to school. Big old black Bible carried it to school. I would have never done that. So I'm this guy that wouldn't do that. So I do that on purpose for me so that I break out of this not being an effective witness for Jesus. So I'm up in there and I got my chicken nuggets. I got my French fries and people are sitting around and I know they've seen my patch. And I'm thinking, they're thinking, is he going to eat that meal before he prays? Uh, so what did I do? I bowed my head and said my blessing over my food right there where everybody could see me. And I said a long prayer too. So they know. Believe in Jesus. I'm, I'm not ashamed of Jesus Christ. The Bible says I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Romans 1.16. So he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. He said, verse 13, therefore, take the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand. Do everything you can to stand and stand. This morning, I'm going to preach a message calling Standing Alone because many times you don't have your church family around you. You're by yourself. Do you have what it takes to stand alone? Let's pray. Father, I believe you've given me this word this morning, Lord, to encourage the body of Christ, Lord, not to condemn in any way, but, Lord, to stir up something in us. God, I feel a stirring in the spirit. God, I have felt it for weeks, even months, God, that you're saying I'm calling for the church to be all in for Jesus Christ. No more of this hanging around the fringes. No more of being a secret agent Christian where I'm a a believer, but I don't want anybody to know it. It's time for us to stand up and, and be counted for the cause of Christ. So, Father, I pray that you burst something in our spirit today lord as i share what you've placed on my heart god just speak to us oh god i pray in jesus name amen amen humans are by nature followers of the crowd by nature we go along with the crowd it's called the i call it the i don't know if it's called by anybody else but i call it the herd mentality you know the herd's going that way and we just go we don't know where we're going or why we're just following everybody else I did that one time in, in, in Lincoln when I, in high school. I'm driving through town. I see all of these people and a bunch of guys down here and they're up on their cars and they're yelling and screaming. I'm like, what in the world is that all about? So I put, this is when they integrated the schools and black people and white people didn't get along real good. All right. And I pulled in there and I'm like, what is that? And about the time they all pulled out and took off. So I'm like, well, let's go see where they're going. And I got in my car and I followed them. Well, there was a, the, the black section of town. They're driving through there and they made a turn to headed down towards Bar Street. And I was like, that is not good. I didn't follow the crowd. It's a good thing, too, because there was some bad stuff happened. A, a 12 gauge slug was shot through the side of a car and some people got beat up and it was ugly. Sometimes it's not a good idea to follow the crowd. Are you hearing me? You need to stand alone. And so we need, to, we need to stand for what's right, and it's our nature to follow the crowd, human nature to do that. So the psychology calls it archetype. The definition of archetype is a collectively inherent unconscious idea, pattern of thought, or image that is universally present in individual psyche. In other words, it's a collectively, we all have this same pattern of thought or this unconscious idea that is in every single person. And we just do what we do because everybody else is doing it. We really don't know why. 
It's just, that's what's what you do, you know. Everybody else is going, so I'm going to go. Everybody else is doing it, so I'm going to do it. Everybody else believes it, so I believe it. It must be right. Everybody else believes it. And I don't want to stand out. I don't want to be the odd nut. I don't want to be the one left out, the one that is different. Now, a psychology class did a test on this. And what they did is they took the whole class and everybody was in on it except one person. They drew a line about this long and they put the letter A under it. Then they drew a real long line and put a B under it. And then they drew a little bit shorter line and put C on it. Everyone could see that B was the longest line. All right. But the professor went around the class. He said, this is an optical illusion. You have to really focus on it to see which line is the longest. And he started over here and said, which line is the longest? And he said, C. Obviously, you can see that B was the longest line. He said, C. Which line is the longest? C. Which line is the longest? C. And went around the whole class and everybody said C. And then they got to the guy that wasn't in on it and said, which line is the longest? And he's like, um, um, C. He could clearly see that B was the longest line, but he went along with the crowd, and out of that test, 75% of the people tested went along with the crowd. They convinced themselves that they must be wrong. Everybody says it's C, it must be C. And I'm not going to be the guy that says, well, it's B. You know, 25 people had the guts to stand alone and said, (laughs) You're all crazy. That B line is longer, you know. But not too many people will do that. So 75 out of 100 people will convince themselves that they're wrong. They will lie to themselves, compromise the truth, rather than be different. How many of those 75 out of 100 are sitting here today? You don't want to be different. So you go along to be accepted. You have to come to a place that you will stand for truth. You've got to make up your mind. Make up your mind in your spirit. I'm going to stand for truth. Because church, right is still right. And wrong is still wrong. That has never changed. But in the society we live in today, that has been brought into serious question. Even, even in the Christian nation we live in, those things are be cha- being challenged every day on every front. And a lot of Christians are succumbing to that. They're giving in to the pressures of the world and, and compromising their belief and their faith. But you've got to stand for what is right no matter what the boss says. I heard a story about a man that he, he had obligations in his church on Sunday, and his boss came to him and says, you got to work Sunday. He says, I, I can't work on Sunday. I, I actually did that one time. I was a foreman. And we had finished the job. The job was done. It was out at North Anna, Mike. I'd finished the job, and everything was done. All the paperwork was signed off. The only thing we had to do was go demobilize the job. So I told my lead man, I said, you take the crew tomorrow. You go down and get everything out of the plant. I said, I'm not going to be here. I've got Sunday school class tomorrow. I'm going to be at Sunday school. And so I, I didn't show up Sunday. I had a commitment, right? 
They call me in the office Monday morning. Come in there with my white hat on. Guy says, I won't name him, but it wasn't Roger, the guy that was here last week. It was his boss, all right. Big, this the big boss. He said, uh, you're foreman. You're supposed to be here when the job's going. And I said, well, we had everything done. All they had to do is demobilize the job. The lead man could handle it. Yeah, but you're the foreman. I said, well, I understand that, but they didn't need me here. I had other obligations. That doesn't matter. This comes first. I said, well, that's where you're wrong. I said, I'm a Christian. I serve the Lord, and God comes first before everything. He said, I've been through this. What if you were Seventh-day Adventist? And then here we go, you know. I'm like, well, this is where I stand. He said, well, I could take your white out. I said, yes, sir, you can. I said, and if that's what it means, you're welcome to it. But I'm going to serve the Lord, you know. And so this guy in this story, his boss said, you got to work on Sunday. He said, I'm not going to do that. He said, well, I can fire you. He said, well, yes, sir, you can, but I'm not going to do that. He said, well, then get your stuff and leave. You're fired. And so he fired him, you know. It was a big corporation. True story. Sometime after this, this big contract came up, and nobody in his company uh, that worked for him did he trust with this contract. And he called his one of his lead uh, men in, I don't know what his title was, and said, I want you to go find the man that I fired and bring him back in here. He said, why? He said, because I'm going to put him in charge of this. He said, why would you do that? You fired him. He said, yes, but because he had the convictions that he would not compromise the truth, I know that I can trust him with my money. So you need to make a stand. Sometimes the stand that you make is what's going to witness louder than anything that you can say. Because you see, I've heard, I've said this many times, people's words are sweet, but their life is shouting them down. Your actions speak much louder than your words ever will. And so sometimes you've got to make a stand for people really to hear what you're saying because words speak louder. I mean, actions speak louder than words. And so you've got to draw a line in the sand, friend. You've got to make a stand no matter what, no matter what the law says. When the Supreme Court makes a law that tries to supersede the laws of God, I'm obliged not to, to abide by that. Amen? So no matter what the law says, you've got to stand your, your faith. And many Christians are confused today about what they believe because everybody else is accepting what the law is saying. The Supreme Court passed the law that same-sex marriage is acceptable in America. And we as Christians, we love people on, of, of every lifestyle. We do. I embrace the person. It doesn't matter what their lifestyle is. I embrace that person. I love them. I'm going to reach out to them. I'm going to minister to them just like I will anybody else. I will minister to a homosexual, a lesbian, just like I will to an adulterer. Amen? A fornicator, a liar, a thief. They're all going to the same place. Come on now. But just because the law says what they're doing is right doesn't make it right. And I remember when this came down, I, 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 somebody sent me a, a, a text that said, I want you to read what my very best friend has said to me on Facebook. And this boy is a Christian now saying these things in the, in the name of Christ, and he is berailing other Christians for being haters and, and unloving and unkind and defriending all of the people that was opposing the Supreme Court ruling on same-sex marriage in the name of Jesus. People are confused about, about what they believe. The herd is going this way, and I'm going to follow the herd. 
I am not going to think for myself. I'm not going to stand alone. I'm going to go along with everybody else. And if we're not careful, we can get caught up in that. You've got to make a stand no matter what other people think, other people say, no matter what the crowd is doing. I'm going to give you a Bible story this morning. It's found in the book of Daniel. Why don't you turn there, Daniel chapter 1. The Babylonian people have come in. They've taken the Hebrew children captive. They have led them into Babylon. And among them was Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, the Hebrew children. They were later named uh, Belteshazzar was the name given to Daniel. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was the names given to the other three Hebrew children, Ananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, to change their names because their names had meaning that connected them to Yahweh and to Elohim, the names for God, the God of the Christians. And so they gave them names associated with the gods of the Babylonians, Aku, one of their gods, and Bel, Bel worship of the sun god. And so the king had had a dream, and he called all of the wise men together. And told them to interpret this dream. And uh, he had chosen men from the Hebrew people. It says in verse 3 of chapter 1 of Daniel. The king instructed Asphanes, the master of the eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles. So here you've got descendants of King David. People that have nobility, royalty. And some of the best young men who were no blemish, but were good-looking. They were gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge, quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. So here he's got Daniel, Adoniah, Azariah, and Mishael, and he's brought them in. And later on, he has this dream. And he calls all of these wise men together. And he says, tell me the interpretation of my dream. And they said, well, tell us what the dream is. He said, no, because you'll make up a lie. But if you can tell me what the dream is and its interpretation, then I'll know what you're talking about. They said, king, nobody can do that. He said, either you do it or I'm putting you all to death. Now, you got to understand, at this point in history... Daniel, Ananiah, Mishael, and Azariah have been placed in leadership in the government of the most evil empire on the earth at that time, and possibly the most evil empire ever. If you read the book of Revelation, it makes reference to Babylon, to the ancient Babylonian people, the most evil people that's ever lived. And in the government is four Hebrew children. Well, more than that, we, I, I can't really affirm exactly how many there were. I've heard people say there was as many as 70. I don't, maybe somebody in here has studied that and can confirm it, but I think there were like 70 all total. But four of them are recorded in, in the book of Daniel. And they're in government at the highest level of the most evil government in the world. Now, I could just stop a minute and tell you there's nothing wrong with Christians being in government. Amen? In fact, we need to be in government. That's where Christians should be is trying to get this thing back under control. Should have been there all along. Well, here they are. And Daniel hears that 
the king is going to kill them, all the wise men, including the Hebrew children. And so he goes to his leader and says, go tell the king not to kill anybody because I serve a God that tells the secrets of men's hearts. And you tell him that I will go before God and I will tell him his dream. And so he goes before the king and he says, there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets and has made known to you, O King Nebuchadnezzar, the things that will happen in the last days. And he said, you were upon your bed and you saw an image and it was awesome. It was a statue. It was a man standing. And his head and his, it says, his head was of gold. His chest and his arms were of silver. His stomach and his thighs were of bronze. His legs were of iron and his feet were made of iron and clay. Then you saw a stone being cut out without hands. And the stone struck the image on its feet. And it was destroyed. And then the stone grew into a mountain that covered the entire world. That image right there was the whole of what God is going to do with every empire. Beginning with the Babylonian Empire, the golden head, right on down into the last empire. And the stone that's not cut with hands is Jesus Christ who will come and strike it. He will destroy every kingdom, every nation, every tribe, and every tongue. And then he will rise and cover the entire earth. Oof. That's, I could preach on that right there. That would be a good message. Amen. Somebody said, I'd like to preach on that someday, Pastor B. Well, maybe I will. But the king says then in Daniel chapter 2, look at it with me. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face, prostrate before Daniel, and commanded that they should present an offering of incense to him. The king answered Daniel and said, Truly, your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of secrets, since you could reveal this secret. Then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon. Because of his faith, he is now Second only to King Nebuchadnezzar himself, just like Joseph was to the Pharaoh. And the chief administrator over all the wise men of Babylon. Verse 49, also Daniel petitioned the king and he set Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the provinces of Babylon. And Daniel sat in the gate of the king. Listen. We need to take a stand for Jesus Christ. And when we do, God will promote you. We don't need to be popular in this society. We need to be popular in the eyes of God. We don't need to be accepted in the school. We don't need to be accepted in the social media. We don't need to be accepted on the job. You don't have to be the most popular person. You need to take a stand for Jesus Christ. And he will lift you up. Amen. There were plenty of reasons now for these men to go along with the crowd because they have now come from a position of being a slave and being taught the ways of the Chaldeans to being the most powerful men in the entire empire. There's plenty of reasons to go along so we don't blow this. Man, we're living fat. We're driving the best thing. We're riding, uh, we're, we're living in the best. We're wearing the best. We're eating the best. We've got it made. We have arrived. A lot of people get into that scenario in this life. 
You finally get accepted with the cool kids at school. Come on. You know, you finally get that promotion where you're in, you've got a white hat and you're a foreman on the job or you're a boss man or you're a whatever. And so you don't want to blow that opportunity. Well, they certainly are in the position where they would have plenty of reason not to mess this thing up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, he realizes he has a problem. He's got all of these different backgrounds of people and religions and faiths here because he's conquered all these nations and brought them in. He's like, how can I unite these people? I know. I will get them all to believe the same thing. I will create a herd mentality. So he made a golden image of himself, 75 feet tall. And he instructed the whole kingdom, when you hear the sound of music, everyone will bow and worship the image. And so the music played, and everybody in the kingdom bowed, except Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Some of the wise men came to Nebuchadnezzar and said, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, did you not make a decree that everybody should bow and worship the image? Yes, I did. Well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't bow. Bring them to me. Because he had told them, anybody that doesn't do this, I'm going to throw them into the furnace of fire. And so they come, and, he, and, and, and uh, before King Nebuchadnezzar says in Daniel chapter 3, look at it with me. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said, O king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. In other words, we've already made our mind up, King Nebuchadnezzar. You might have made us the most powerful people in the kingdom. But that doesn't supersede my faith and my belief in God. You're telling me i got to worship this image or you're going to throw me in the fire? I don't even need to answer you because I've already made that decision. Then he says, they said, if that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. Whether we do it in death or we live it in life, he's going to deliver us from your hand. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the golden image which you have set up. Church, what I'm saying to you is we've got to get to a place where we draw the line and we say we will go this far and no further. It doesn't matter if your friends are saying, come on, man, we're going to go burn a joint. Huh? Man, I got some Oxycontin. Come on, we're going to go get a, I don't know, mellow out. I don't know what Oxycontin does, but whatever it does to you, you know, quaaludes or whatever. You know what you need to tell them? Man, I got high on Jesus years ago. And I stay high on Jesus, brother. It's free. It's not against the law right now, thank God. And besides that, when I'm off of it, I don't crash. I don't get bummed out. I don't get depressed. You know, I don't have to go get high again. I don't have to get another fix. I stay high all the time. And I don't have any hangover after. You know, when the guys at work say, come on, man, we're going to go by the bar. We're going to go down to this weekend. We're going to a keg party. Just tell them, say, you know what? I don't need that stuff, brother. There is nothing I have ever seen good that comes out of the consumption of alcohol 
ever. Seen a lot of bad things. Drunk drivers almost taking the life and taking the life of people. We've had people right here in this church almost lost their life because a person inebriated behind the wheel of a car. On the news just this morning, a lady 25 years old walked into a parade and shot and killed a four-year-old and three other people and wounded dozens of other people because she was drunk. Drunk. So you need to tell them, man, I don't need that stuff. There's nothing good that comes out of it. Don't need it. Besides that, I'm high on Jesus, and I don't have a hangover after. Amen. I don't stink. I don't wobble. You know, I'm drunk in the Lord. The Bible says, be you drunk on new wine. I mean, be not drunk on wine where it is excess, but be you filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, I, I didn't jump the rabbit here. Can I run it a minute? You know what that means? What wine does to you, let the Holy Spirit do to you. What does wine to you? It changes the way you walk. You know what I'm saying? It changes the way you talk, man. You look like, hey, Huh? Changes the way you think. Hey, man, you want me to buy that for you? I'll buy that for you. You feel like you're rich and you ain't got a penny in your pocket. Anybody know what I'm talking about? What wine does for you, let the Holy Spirit do for you. It needs to change the way you walk. Come on, we don't walk the way the world walks anymore. I don't follow the crowd. I don't go along. I take a stand for Jesus Christ. It changes me the way I walk. It changes the way I talk. When people wrong me, I don't give evil for evil, but I give good for evil. I say kind things to them. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearer. Changes the way I talk. Changes the way I think. I'm not poor anymore, amen? I'm rich in his presence. He supplies all of my needs according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus. I'm not poor. Man, I'm rich. If I can be broke and not have a penny to my name, still be the richest man on earth. Amen? Well, caught that rabbit. No matter what happens, you draw, you draw the line in the sand. When everybody else is denying the name of Jesus, you stand up and declare the name of the Lord. You know, I, I thank God that there are people today that still, they tell them, well, you can't pray at your football game. I just saw it on the news the other day. The, the football team was saying a prayer, and one person complained, the school passes, and you can't pray. The whole school came out and prayed. That's what I'm talking about. I, somebody, I think somebody said that Jesus, among the young people, Jesus needs to be the new rebellion. You know, you're always wanting a cause. You're wanting to rebel. You're wanting to be radical about something. Get radical about Jesus because they're telling you not to mention his name. Oh, yeah? <laughs> okay. Tell me I can't. We're going to mention Jesus. I don't know if that's the right spirit or not. But. It says in verse 24, then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose in haste and spake, saying to his counselor, Did we not cast three bound into the midst of the fire? And they answered and said to the king, True, O king. Look, he answered, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. What did they say to him? 
Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hands. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we bow down and worship the golden image that you set up. They didn't know how this thing was going to turn out. They didn't know. Church, a lot of times when we're faced with, with, with the consequences of our actions, we don't know how it's going to turn out. But we need to draw the line in the sand like they did and said, you know what? God can deliver me from this. And one way or the other, he will deliver me from your hands. But if God doesn't deliver me, I'm still not going to bow my knee. I'm still not going to worship your image. I'm not going to serve your gods. It's time to take a stand. Sometimes it ends badly, though. It ended good for them. But in Hebrews chapter 11, it says, Women received their dead, raised again to life. Others, however, were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings, scourgings, yes, in chains, imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented. Of whom the world was not worthy, they wandered in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. So I just ask myself, and I'm asking you, where have you drawn your line? What will it take for you to compromise your faith? I think about and I thought about this. I, part of the reason I'm doing this sermon is I read an article in a magazine this week about martyrdom versus survival. It's what's going on with the march of Islam today. They're, they're, they're on the march and they are taking over Middle Eastern countries and Northern Africa in, in mass numbers. And some of the people are hiding themselves from the fact that they're a Christian to survive. And this article was addressing, is that right or is that wrong? And they weren't passing judgment and encouraged Christians not to pass judgment. What would you do if you were there? And the answer to that is, I really don't know. Because they were saying, in one city they came in and said, everybody that is Muslim can leave. And some of the Christians got up and left with them. And so they realized not everybody here is probably a Christian. So they started asking them questions like, what is Muhammad's mother's name? They couldn't answer. They just shot him. And so I was reading, reading that article, and it kind of got me on this track of what would it take for you to compromise? And I started thinking about different events in history where people have been placed in, in very difficult situations where it was questionable whether they would make a stand for Christ or not. And, and I remember the, the reign of Idi Amin in Uganda. They don't know exactly how many people he did slaughter. Anywhere from 100,000 to 500,000 people he slaughtered. But I remember hearing this interview of a pastor on Christian TV that was one of the pastors in that. When Idi Amin's men locked him in jail and brought his parishioners in front of him one at a time every day. And if he, they told him, if you will deny Jesus Christ, we will let this person live. If you don't, we're going to beat their brains out with a ball-peen hammer. And they did right in front of him. And on this interview, I remember him talking about that. And the guy that interviewed him said, how did you, 
how did you do that? He said, I could never do what you did. And he says, you don't have to. But if you ever find yourself in that place, trust me, God will give you the grace that you need. And so, I, you know, I asked myself, what would, what would you do in a situation like that? Just recently, they took all these Christian girls uh, captive in Nigeria. And I don't know if you remember that. There were hundreds of girls that they captured and took into slavery. And they showed a picture of them sitting there and the, dressed in their burkas. But there was one girl named Monica. She was a pastor's daughter. And she would not convert to Islam. They buried her to her neck and stoned her to death. You know, and I was like, God, what, what, would, I, what would I do in a situation like that? I don't know the answer, church, really. And I'm not here to judge people that do or do not, you know. I, I, that's what I'm asking. Where have you, you need to face these questions. Where have you drawn your line? Where would you compromise? It's time to give Jesus more of me, though. I do know that. I've been hearing this for weeks in my spirit and months. God, I, I feel a stirring in the spirit, church, that God is calling the church to come to a different level in him. I want more of you. I want more commitment from you. It's time to be all in for Jesus. Does Jesus have all of your heart? That's the question I'm bringing you today. Does he have all of you? The last thing I thought about, and I'm going to close with this, probably the most inspiring story, one of, if not maybe the most inspiring story I ever heard, was the story of Rachel Joyce Scott. Many of you know who I'm talking about. She was the very first girl to be shot and killed at the Columbine shooting. That was on April the 20th, 1999. This young lady has impressed me more than any young person that I know. Because exactly one year before the day that she was shot and killed, on April the 20th, 1998, the year before, this is what she wrote in her diary. Quote, I lost all my friends at school now that I began to walk my talk. They make fun of me. I don't even know what I have done. I don't really have to say anything and they turn from me. I have no more personal friends at school. But you know what? I am not going to apologize for speaking the name of Jesus. I am not going to justify my faith to them, and I'm not going to hide the light that God has put in me. Listen to this statement. If I have to sacrifice everything, I will. I will take it. If my friends have to become my enemies for me to be with my best friend Jesus, then that's fine with me. I always knew being a Christian is having enemies, but I never thought that my friends were going to be those enemies, end quote. Her friends said that Rachel told them, quote, I will never marry. I will not live beyond 20. She wrote in her diary, this is my last year, Lord. I have gotten what I can. Thank you. She wrote in another entry. I want you to use me to reach the unreached. Another entry said, God is going to use me to reach the young people. I don't know how. I don't know when. In another entry in her diary, she said, I have this theory that if one person can go out of their way to show compassion, then it will start a chain reaction of the same. People will never know how far a little kindness can go.
Three weeks before her death, she witnessed to the two boys that would kill her. They were rejected by everybody in school. They were the oddballs. Everybody avoided them. They didn't like them. They were afraid of them. But Rachel went up and shared the love of Jesus Christ with them because she loved them, and she wanted to bring them to Christ, and they hated her for it. They even made videos mocking Rachel Scott and her faith. On April the 20th, 1999, sitting outside by herself because she didn't have any friends, eating her lunch, these two boys, and I won't mention their name because their name's not worth mentioning, they came up to her and shot her twice in the leg and once in the back just to make her suffer. They returned seconds later, grabbed her by the hair and says, do you still believe in your God? She said, you know that I do. They said, then go be with him and shot her in the head and killed her. Two hours before her death, she drew a picture of her eye shedding 13 tears falling on a rose. There were 13 people killed in the Columbine shooting, one teacher and 12 students. When the tears hit the rose, they turned into blood. The rose was, was growing out of a Columbine plant, and it was connected to a verse in the Bible, John chapter 15, verse 13, which says, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. That drawing inspired her parents to write a book called Rachel's Tears. As a result of that, millions of people have come to Christ because of Rachel's story. It made a difference in the world that she lived in because she took a stand for Jesus. Her life made a difference. Her father said she wanted to be a missionary and an actress. And while those things, you don't see how you can be a missionary and an actress, in her death, she accomplished both because her funeral was seen uh, by more people across. It was televised across the nation on CNN, and it was viewed by more people. CNN had the largest viewing audience to that date in their history. It, ha it had more viewers than the funeral of Princess Diana. Watch the funeral of Rachel Joy Scott. At age 13, she had wrote in her diary, these hands belong to Rachel Joy Scott and will someday touch millions of people's hearts. In the back of her diary, she wrote in big, bold letters, I won't be labeled as average. I believe Rachel was like the Apostle Paul in Philippians 3 when he said, but what things were gained to me these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may win Christ. Now, today, we're not facing the fiery furnaces of Babylon. We're not facing being buried alive and stoned like the girls in Nigeria. We're not facing the machetes of ISIS and Boko Haram in Syria and northern Africa. We're not facing the hammers of Idi Amin in Uganda. 
we're not facing the guns of Columbine. The only thing that we're facing here in America as Christians is just a chance of not being accepted, not fitting in. Somebody might laugh at me. Somebody not, might not invite me to be a part of their group. I might lose my friends. I might look foolish. People might call me names. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 39 says this. In all these, talking about all those martyrs that were sawn unto and they roamed around in caves and said all of these having obtained a good testimony through faith did not receive the promise God having provided something better for us that they should not be made perfect apart from us and in chapter 12 it says wherefore seeing that we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses let us lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset us let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the prize that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. He sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds because you have not yet resisted unto blood against sin. Is your life making a difference for Jesus? What kind of stand are you making for the Lord? When's the last time you tried to tell somebody about Jesus? Seriously. Or at least just invite them to church so they can hear about the Lord. Yeah, I'm making a stand for Jesus. Are you? I'm not here to condemn you. Church, I, am, I feel a stirring in the Spirit that God is saying it is time for the church to stand up and be counted. Are we taking a stand for Christ? You say, well, Pastor, how do I do that? You do it the way the Apostle Paul told you to do it. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. You see, I think about that pastor that was in Uganda. He said, God will give you the grace won't you stand with me? Last week we had our building dedication. We'd invited a lot of different people to come. And um, I checked my voicemail and I had a message from Nathan Grooms, the pastor I told you about, that was my pastor that taught me how to hear from God, It taught me about fasting and he, he is one of the most spiritual men that I've ever known and he called and left a message, said Bernie I'd love to be there, we're so 
proud of you and what you've done there and we're praying for you we pray for you all the time and he said but I, I haven't told you that his wife's name is Suzette that Suzette and I were going through a journey he said call me and I'll fill you in so I called him I called him immediately I said brother Nathan what's going on he said for the past two years he said Suzette has been going steadily going downhill she has Lou Gehrig's disease at first her left hand got weak then she lost the use of her left hand then she lost the use of her left arm. Then she lost the use of her left leg. Then she lost the use of her right leg and was in a wheelchair. And she kept saying, I'm so thankful to God. I still can use my right hand. I can drive the wheelchair. I can brush my hair. I can drink a glass of tea. He said, Bernie, finally she lost the use of her right arm and then her entire upper body. She lost the mobility of her head. Finally, she lost her power of speech. There's a lot of weeping as we've talked. And he said, Bernie, I just call her cell phone sometimes. Just so I can hear her voice. Suzette used to sing so beautiful. He said, I'd give anything just to go into a restaurant and sit down and have a conversation with her. He said, I've got a big piece of plexiglass. I wrote the alphabet on it, and she'll fix her eyes on a letter, and I'll move it. She spells words, and at the end of the word, all she can do is grunt. Her mind is as sharp as it's ever been. But she's trapped in this body. That's the way we communicate. And all through this conversation, he kept saying, God has been so good to us. He is so gracious. He is so kind. I'm so thankful for the Lord. And I said, Nathan, how do you do it? How do you do it? You are the strongest man I know. I don't know if I could do that. And he said, Bernie, God showers me with His grace. Church, I'm here to tell you, you can stand for God because you can be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. But you can't do it without Him. And I believe that God is calling us to come up to a different level in Him. And to do that, we're going to need his strength and we're going to need his power. I'm praying that God will raise Suzette up off of that deathbed. He said it's a matter of days and weeks, weeks and days now. She went to sleep twice and we couldn't wake her up. The doctor said she'll, she'll just go to sleep and won't wake up because the muscles around her lungs and heart will just finally stop. Now I'm saying, God, that's what the doctors are saying. What a testimony it would be to hear her sing again, to see her walk again. But if he doesn't, God is still God. 
See, we're so fixed on this natural world. It's so special to us. But as Christians, we need to get our eyes fixed on something that is better than this world. Paul said, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. So if Suzette doesn't come through, she's going to something better. Their oldest son is a youth pastor. Their youngest son is the ministry of uh, uh, marriage counseling in their church. Their daughter sings on the worship team. The whole family serves the Lord. The only way they can do that going through what they're going through is through the strength that Jesus gives them and the power of his might. Now, I don't know about you, but I constantly have to go to the Lord and say, finally, my brother, doing all to stand, I'm going to stand. Calling upon the Lord to give me the strength and the power that I need to do that. I don't know where we are headed as a Christian nation, as a church in this Christian nation. More and more, our faith is coming under attack. The Bible says in the last days they're going to call good evil. And evil they're going to call good. We're living in those days, church. When a fine Christian young man, the family 19 and counting, I forget his name, Josh something, Duggar, is crucified by the media. And at the same time, they glorify this lady who was a known confessed lesbian that admitted to molesting her little sister. But they praised her for being brave enough to admit that and condemned him because he's a Christian. We're living in a messed up world. And it's time for us to take a stand, church. I don't know about you, but I'd like to spend just a few minutes at the altar this morning before we go. And just solidify some of this stuff in my heart. So I don't have a specific altar call other than how many of you feel like you need the Lord's strength and his power? I'm going to ask you to just take a few minutes and let's just come before the Lord while the worship team ministers to us with song. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope you are blessed and encouraged by it. Central Virginia Assembly of God is located on 5052 Cross County Road, Mineral Virginia, 23117. If you would like more information about the church, visit us at centralvaag.org or call 804-514-2413. We would love to hear from you. God bless.